Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Biocompatibility. Don, we have a couple of new guests this time, and we're talking about pre-sub meetings with the FDA. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we still are able to get some, some more guests to join us, which is always a good thing. It's, it's, as we've said in the past, it's always boring when it's just me and Sherry talking. So um, it's always nice to have yeah. others share their experiences yeah. and opinions. <laughs> so our guests today are both uh, colleagues that we've met over the years. They, they both work at Abbott. So Deanna Porter is a senior principal biocompatibility specialist. She's specializing in biocompatibility safety evaluations for medical devices. She's a member of the Society of Technology Group at Abbott, formerly St. Jude, and she's been there for 16 years. So she started her career at St. Jude as a methane validation scientist and progressed to managing groups. She's currently the lead technical role in support of global biocompatibility initiatives at Abbott uh, to include next generation test method development and strategic biocompatibility solutions. So Deanna brings us a lot of experience in pre-sub meetings. And also joining us is Kent Grove, and he's a principal biocompatibility scientist at Abbott. He's responsible for providing complex biocompatibility testing strategies and technical support for their medical device submissions. He's uh, combined 10 plus years in the field of toxicology and biocompatibility. He's worked at, at, other C at CROs, so he's been on the other side of the desk in that role as director of biocompatibility for some laboratories. And he's also working extensively now in, in hemocompatibility with multiple publications related to improving the current test methods used to assess blood contacting device. So both of our guests have a lot of information and a lot of experience with the pre-sub meeting that they shared with us in this episode. For sure. And, and you know, we've been fortunate enough in the past to uh, do presentations with, with both of them as well. So it's, uh, it's good to hear their opinions and thoughts in, on this topic as well. Yeah, they're both members of our North American Biocompatibility Summit Scientific Board when we hold that event every year. And uh, yeah, we're, we're just happy that they joined us. So we hope you all enjoy this episode where we talk about the pre-sub meeting and its importance for biocompatibility. Welcome to Biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focused on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMS is happy to bring biocompatibility to you where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Biocompatibility. Don, we have managed to coerce or convince or, I mean, kidnap a couple few more people to be guests. Yeah, we have. And, and so far, bribery has not been needed as, as no. of this point. You know, not at so, all. So this I, is... I, not at all. <laughs> we're, we're very lucky that, um, that folks keep being willing to, to join us. So Deanna and, and Kent, welcome to Biocompatibility. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So Deanna and Kent are both colleagues that we've gotten to know well over the years. They both work at Abbott. And Don had a great idea on how to, to, um, to use their knowledge and expertise. And we're going to spend today talking about pre-sub meetings and their importance in the biological evaluation of medical devices. And I think most people, you know, think about clinical trials or look, getting early FDA buy-in and bigger things like that. But biocompatibility has become more and more 
important in these meetings and we thought it was podcast worthy. Yeah, when you when you see like in the matter of a week three responses from FDA and each one of them have or three uh submission sets of submission responses and and they have like 15 to 17 questions about biocomp which like makes everything look else look trivial. Yeah, it, it makes you wonder. I wonder if there's a way to make this process more effective. <laughs> Maybe. Can we avoid this? Possibly. Possibly. So, yeah. So I don't know. Um, maybe, I don't know, Deanna or Kent, would one of you want to give, there might be some listeners out there that aren't familiar what the pre-sub meeting is. I think it's part of the Q-sub process, I think is what it's called. And then there's a pre-submission meeting. Would one of you want to kind of give an outline of what that looks like for folks? Sure. Specifically from the biocompatibility side of things, uh, generally what we do is we try to focus what the changes are. If it's a brand new product, kind of highlight that information. From our perspective, we typically will provide uh, quick guidance on here's the overall testing plan that we're looking for. And then seek guidance in which very specifically that we're, if we've got questions or there's certain areas that we know are hot topics or hot buttons in the industry right now, or if there's something that might be a little unique to this project. Then we kind of really focus those pre-subs and take advantage of that opportunity to meet with the FDA uh, beforehand in order to gain uh, acceptance or, or some feedback on our current strategies that we're planning to perform. Okay. Yeah, just, just from like yeah. a high level, just by like, I guess as the name implies, this, you know, the pre-sub process predates your actual submission, right? So you're trying to get buy-in on a strategy. Right. And, and usually in the pre-subs that we submit, we, we like to cater that pre-sub to a specific topic. Um, you know, we'll do pre-subs on a preclinical animal study specifically or on biocompatibility or on chemistry so that we can really zero in on the responses and the guidance that we specifically need depending on the project needs. And I think that the approach that we've been taking recently is to really familiarize the agency with our device, the intended use of our device, the risks associated with our devices, and then really ask those pointed questions where the test strategy needs clarity or there's some unknowns um, regarding the interpretation of our device or the test strategy specifically. Uh, chemistry has been one of those hot buttons recently that, that we've been focusing on with a lot of our precepts. Right. Yeah. An excellent point. And, and I think in kind of the history of these meetings where the FDA today is much more collaborative, at least that's feedback that I hear. And I think years ago, you might have had these meetings, but they didn't necessarily give pointed response or actually say that they would stick with that, what they said. Kind of, you know, they were a little looser in interpretation. And, and I think this process got improved recently in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'd say yeah, so too. I, would, I would agree. Yeah. I think, like you guys are talking about, I mean, certainly the more, more specific you can get, the better use the pre-sub is to you without getting like overly complicated and overly uh, mothered down in details where you're like, you know, uh, you know, focusing on such a, a small issue that get lost in, in the overall idea of trying to figure out what you really have to do for biocompatibility. 
So I think there's that fine point between being like diving off in the deep end in terms of details, but also, you know, being too high level and just doing a pre-sub and your one question for biocompatibility is, this is our device. This is how it's used. What do we need to do for biocompatibility? Um, right. <laughs> probably not, think, not much use there. <laughs> and I think that's something we've talked about over the years is go in knowing what you intend to do instead of asking them what they want you to do. I think that still stands true. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say, Kent? Yes, I, I agree. Um, and what I found more recently, too, is that, I mean, it is an opportunity where they are very open to, you know, hearing what your strategy is and what your plan is going to be, and then providing some very helpful feedback. And it's kind of one of those, especially as things keep changing, as we all kind of already previously mentioned about chemical characterization, that's continuously to be um, a hot topic and continues to evolve. And so, you know, for modern days, to be honest with you, I think most of our pre-subs right now are targeted towards the chemical characterization side of things to make sure that we're getting the chance for them to, you know, to have the FDA review our strategy, review our protocols even. I mean, they actually started to request to see the protocols for the chemistry specifically. So then their subject matter experts can take a look and give you some guidance and, and you know, essentially an insur- almost an insurance policy that as you are going to go forward to conduct this testing that you're doing it, you know, in such a fashion in, in, in which meets the FDA's requirements today. So for those, I know there's, you know, I used to work outside of Abbott as well, and some of the smaller groups are always kind of a little hesitant, uh, you know, to necessarily go forward with the pre-sub. But I would, especially in this day and age, I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's very useful. And if you target your questions specifically, you'll get specific answers from the FDA. And it's very nice going forward, kind of really having that overall plan that has already gone through and reviewed by them. So you can go forward with your project accordingly. Aside from chemical characterization, when you guys do your pre-subs, I mean, how many questions do you actually have regarding the good old biological biocompatibility testing? Do you guys see much even going on there versus just primarily focusing on characterization? Has it, it's kind of started to tame down a little bit. Um, every once in a while, you know, hemocompatibility was one of the hot topics yeah. before chemistry. So there was always a lot of going back and forth with, you know, what type of in vitro tests. I mean, even specifically, I mean, as you guys know, when we all kind of went through the whole what type of equipment's being used for in vitro testing. So there was an era where we certainly had a lot more um, questions in regarding to outside of chemistry. So it kind of really shifts with the newest trends and what we're seeing with deficiencies and feedback from the regulatory authorities. So for the most part, at, at this point, it's really been focusing in on chemistry. Um, but we certainly have used this opportunity to discuss, you know, if you're going to do a you know, for instance, your thrombogenicity study, how it's going to be conducted, if you're going to incorporate that into preclinical design, you know, what are the endpoints that you're going to use to make sure that you could still satisfy the thrombo without disrupting, you know, any of the, any of the markers that might be used for the large animal study, kind of incorporating all of that. So we've definitely used uh, the pre-subs to get approval on our study designs as well. More recently, you could also use it for, you know, if you're designing like an implant talk study, certainly a good opportunity to have them take a look at the design and making sure that you're covering all of your systemic toxicity and making sure that you're getting the appropriate tissues uh, evaluated as well. So there's opportunities for those types of designs, but as they by and large at this point, our focus has been really specifically to chemistry. Recently, we had, we had a, a pre-sub where we also discussed 
you know, clinical exposure. So we had a neuro device in which there were there was a lead, an extension, um, and an anchor, and we presented in our pre-sub that we wanted to to pull those devices, um, the permanent implant devices, together. And we we really had to emphasize in our information in the pre-sub that you know these devices are used together. We had to explain clinically how they're used. We had to justify the use of you know one anchor being representative of, of the majority of the clinical cases that we that we see. So that was another way that we utilized the pre-sub to get good information regarding um, the sample configuration as well. Yeah, that that uh, you know when you get to that that level of those specifics, it's definitely helpful to get their feedback for sure. And I guess the one thing I was thinking of in terms of the biocompatibility side of things, you know, even not talking about the method of the biological testing itself, but like what you're talking about, the actual preparation, the extraction, how you're going to perform that for the biological studies. I mean, I, I would assume you guys in that overall context are in, are presenting that when there seems to be something unique in terms of what gets included, what doesn't get included, and how you might be performing that extraction? Yes, absolutely. Another thing that, that I've seen and, and we have included in our pre-sub is where we're, we look at less than 24-hour devices that will be delivering a permanent implant and the interactions that happen between that, that less than 24-hour device, maybe it's a delivery system or a loading system, and presenting the plans in which we will load and deploy per the IFU prior to deploying into an extraction vessel and utilizing the permanent implant as the test article. This is something that that we haven't really considered, I think, in the past, where it's becoming more and more prevalent in our interactions with FDA specifically that they want to see that. They want to cover those interactions between that less than 24-hour device and loading system with with your permanent implant to appropriately evaluate your extractable leachables that are transferred during those preparation steps per the IFU. Yeah, yeah, and I've more than once, at least like I think about five times now, I've included in a pre-sub the use of a torque wrench for an IPG just to literally make sure that we use the torque wrench. It'll never touch the patient, but it touches the little set screw that goes into the IPG, and and so you. You know, you have to have 20 torque wrenches so that you can tighten down every, <laughs> and then you throw it away I guess, at the end of the day. But it's those little details like you're talking, Deanna, that, that you know, you, you list out exactly what you're going to do and why, and, and just making sure that there's not an I that you missed or a T that you missed um, uh, going along the way. Do you guys, in terms of, you know, kind of going back to the, the hot button topic in terms of extractables and chemistry type testing, do you find yourselves including like details on how the assessment's going to be done and and if, and if so like what what type of details that you're you're telling the FDA about in terms of the assessment of the data that you're going to collect from the extractables? You're you're talking about data interpretation or yeah, test like methods? the tox assessment. Yeah, like the tox assessment of characterization data. Yeah, so we've been in in a very recent pre-sub. We've we've really called out exactly how we're going to tackle the extractable leachables that we do detect, and um, you know, really ensuring that we're utilizing the concepts that are being discussed. And and I know that the ISO 10993-17 standard is under 
discussion and, and revisions are being proposed and we're getting a lot of that feedback through our toxicologists. And um, it seems as though the feedback is that, you know, the MOS of one or lower um, is obviously of concern, just like it has in the past. However, now we're experiencing that there is some focus on what we're they're saying is near one, and there's no clear definition on what an MOS of near one means. And we're really utilizing our pre-subs now to try and get feedback from the FDA as to what is that near one and, and how can that be applied um, moving forward. Interesting. Yeah. Near one. I like that. That's, that's. Yeah. <laughs> there's definitely kind of uh, like relatively across the board on, on what that near one means. And so it'll be, it'll be definitely uh, one of those things that the ISO board, I think we'll have to weigh in heavily on to find out what that means. Um, because ultimately, like if it's in the eye of the beholder, I mean, one of the things that happens, and this is why it's really important, is that the number that you pick depends on how many compounds we're going to be really dialing in on and screening as a toxicological concern. And even beyond that is that if you run into a situation where there is no published data available, right, or you're not sure, you know, what if an MOS of two is going to be acceptable, then your next step is actually the simulated use targeted leachable analysis, yeah. which can double the time that we're doing with the chemical characterization. And so, you know, it's one of those things where it seems, you know, very rudimentary of what's the number, what are we going to pick, what does it mean? But really, it's the, the major focus is going to be the follow-up on what us as an industry, what we're going to be doing on, you know, these additional assessments. But even more important, it also could mean another chemistry study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, then, and then if you get to that point, I mean, you're, you're way past pre-sub time at that point. And so yeah. you're kind of open in that. I'm going to wander into this area without, you know, reassurance that the FDA agrees or disagrees with what I'm doing. So, you know. Right, right, right. The other option too, that, that's nice. I mean, you will get in the pre-sub feedback is there's definitely, you know, a lot of um, comments about how you're performing the NVR. You know, there's a lot of groups out there that might do the iterations. Um, others will do you know, whole volume extractions, and it's one of those where you can, you know, if, if you interact with the FDA ahead of time, right now the current consensus is that they're really pulling for whole volume extractions versus the iteration, unless you can justify. And so it's kind of one of those, like, you know, another note to the, you know, to the team out there is that, you know, it's these little things that make the difference of having a successful profile or going back and, and repeat testing. And it's never, you know, I've said this my whole career here, it's never going to be that you didn't perform the chemistry study, right? It's never these big picture items. It's like, okay, I got to do this to get the program done. But kind of what you were saying earlier, uh, Don, about it's really in the details, right? If you prep the device wrong or you do the wrong NDR or all these little tiny details that add up to being a successful profile, it's extremely important to make sure that you hammer those out and get those details back from uh, whatever regulatory authority that you're going to, specifically FDA and the pre-sub process. But definitely important to get those, that information before you get started. Yeah, and that, and I think that the key to the the effective pre-sub is is basically knowing what you know and what you don't know, so you put the right stuff in the, the pre-sub in terms of details regarding what you're unsure of, at least, you know, and you might certainly have a plan that you think is should work and in your mind makes sense. 
but if you if if you want that vetted in in front of the FDA, it's it's time to make sure that that detail sitting in there. So if you're worried because you think it's it's logical to do a 37 degrees Celsius extraction for all of your biological testing and your characterization testing because of the composition of the device, then recognize that that's a little bit more of an oddity. And I think you have to, you're going to have to explain why you think that is. And then you can ask the FDA if they agree, things like that. I wanted to ask, in, in particular, when it comes to discussing the protocols uh, for characterization, for example, in a pre-sub meeting, are you all requesting in advance and saying, we want to go into great detail to talk about our chemical characterization to ensure that the right personnel from the FDA is present or is the general reviewer handling that? Because, you know, we know those responses, they come from our reviewer, but they have lots of input from other folks. And so what tips would you give as far as making sure that the questions we're, we're putting out there in the pre-sub, especially around chemical characterization, are meeting the expectations when it comes to who's in the meeting, how you get them there? Yeah, I think uh, recently we've actually been asked by the FDA to provide a very detailed chemical characterization protocol, um, you know, including method parameters and uh, the evaluation criteria the uh, analytical controls and, and analytical concepts that we're applying when doing the chemical characterization. And I think with that level of detail being requested, we definitely want to put the, you know, the analytical chemists and the experts in chemistry in touch with their analytical experts. And we've talked about this in preparation for our pre-sub meeting with the FDA that we, we definitely want to have that, that technical, create that technical forum so that those detailed discussions can take place and that we can walk away from that meeting knowing that uh, the analytical concepts or the you know, assumptions that we're making or even the interpretations of how the data is being interpreted and, and utilized and the test methods are appropriate to support um, our submission. So you are finding that they're, they're bringing the right people to the table for you then and, you know, over the last, I guess, put it, make it a little over a year or so, probably maybe the last two years, the FDA's thoughts and characterization have started on characterization have evolved and changed so much that, you know, you hardly get a program through without some comments. I think that's a general industry experience, but you're finding that they're bringing the right people to the table to help minimize those back-end questions. Yeah, and I think our regulatory people are also doing their best to make sure that they, they have the right people. Okay. Uh, yep. They are definitely asking us who needs to be in this meeting, who do we need to request, and, and I know that they're, they're very mindful of having those FDA experts that we need to talk to in that meeting. Good. Yeah, it's really important. We want to ask those important questions. we got to make sure the right person's there to answer them on the FDA's behalf. Absolutely. All right. Um, anybody have any, I think we've talked a little bit about some general kind of learning opportunities. I don't know if there's any specific tips or learning opportunities you all want to share scenarios that maybe, I know Deanna, you've, you've shared a few scenarios already. Is there anything else that um, might be a specific tip for those listening when it comes to pre-sub or sharing your experience that they can learn from? Yeah, I think being as as pointed, you know, having very pointed questions, making sure that you don't really present a lot of ambiguity 
in your pre-sub, make sure that you, you understand what you want to get out of them. You know, the, what answer are you seeking? Try to present the data and the information that you have so that it speaks specifically to the output that you, or, you know, the input that you are requiring them to provide you with. That's really probably the one thing that we try to focus a lot on, and we do a lot of reviews internally. So we'll present the pre-sub to the core team, and then we'll present to leadership, and, and it keeps getting vetted. And as you present you know, the information and you try to be very pointed, you, you actually gather a lot of perspectives that help you to understand that, oh, they could look at it this way or they could look at it that way. And it, it really helps to refine your pre-sub before you actually submit it. I think that's really a good approach and, a, and very helpful to get the information you need. Great. Yeah. Ken, did you have anything you wanted to add? Uh, well said, Deanna. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Don? Do you have any, uh, do you have a story or an experience or anything you want to share in particular? Yeah, I think most recently, it's just, it's kind of more of like what we've, what we've been talking about where, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity to, to make sure you really have a well-thought-out plan for biocompatibility. You might not ask questions about every test or everything that you're sure. going to do, but just having the concept of how you're addressing biocompatibility well-thought-out all the way down to you know extraction and those details like we've been talking about to the end uh, in terms of assessment and just, just deciphering what what appears to be a little bit unique about this situation so that you can ask those point of questions like, like Deanna is yeah. mentioning and, you know, and, and just asking good questions, quite honestly, don't, don't just say what, here's what we're going to do for biocomp. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, you'll get a response, but really is that, <laughs> is that the value, putting the value in this situation? And that, that's, that's kind of it too. You know, you just remember you, you want their input. So if you give them a really bad evaluation plan, be prepared to get honest feedback and critique of what you just put in front of them. And, and if you don't want that, then think a little bit more before you move forward. You mentioned my thing I was going to share is, is that plan. I think having that well-established plan, whereas you've already, you know what your issues might be, where your risks are, where the the highest areas of of interest that you've identified in a well sculpted plan that you already know the feedback that you need so as to they don't have to find where those risks are so that was one of the things that you know I was going to mention is the importance of making sure you've done that plan that that will then guide you as to what your questions are that you need their feedback on as you identify those risks develop your questions pointed to those risks seems logical, but, you know, sure. <laughs> but one other part to, to add to that too is also don't forget to add in, you know, what you might be justifying for the reasons of not doing a test. So yeah. this might, our strategies are quite a bit different from a brand new product versus a device iteration, right? We focus in on what the change is going to be. We dial in on what those materials are going to be, manufacture, construction, processes, things along that line. But you may not necessarily be running, so for instance, if it's a brand new product, you might be running a thrombogenicity study, but for a you know, design iteration or device iteration, you might find that you could probably do a handful of in vitro testing, some SEM work, 
you know, things along that line that you can use to justify back to not necessarily rerun the project uh, with a thrombo study because you know that everything else is remaining the same and that wouldn't have any impact to that study. And how would I look at it from a materials perspective and a surface characteristic perspective? So it's, it's really important that, you know, also to include how you're getting back to the original profile that you've developed. And so, I, you know, my career, I've seen, you know, it, I've worked with different groups before in the past, and sometimes that was one of the mistakes is that you'll go in and you're saying, here's all the testing that we're doing. And mm -hmm. then you're leaving it to your audience to kind of figure out, well, these pieces are missing. So I'm going to go ahead and, you know, ask you why are we doing this or, or recommend to do this testing when it's really not being targeted towards what you're, what you're actually trying to say here is that I'm going to do this handful of testing to supersede this testing. And this testing was conducted before in the past. So it's always important too is that it's, when you're kind of working on your own projects, you know, you think everybody knows exactly what you're thinking. So you kind of put it together and sometimes you forget to say also why you're not doing something. And it's it, to make your time really effective, especially during a, a, a pre-sub, you definitely want to make sure that you're capturing the reasons why you're not doing a specific test or how you're getting to justify if it's a different subset of testing, because that's an important question too, is that you want your reviewers to understand what the concepts of change and everything that's happening and what you're using for to satisfy that category of testing. Yeah. Tell the make sure they understand the story, the the why. You know the why and the and the how and the, and the completion of the story. We've I know we've had several examples in the past where you know their questions all kind of resulting in them not understanding the story of the product, not not understanding how it was used. They're not the experts in our products. We are right. So they see tons of products and have to try to understand each of them enough to be able to evaluate them. But you know, it's really on the onus of, of the manufacturer, the consultant, whoever, whoever's doing that submission to help them understand the whole story of how the product works and thus be evaluated properly. Yeah, and I, yeah. I will say, you know, for all the things that we're saying that we would put into a pre-sub and all that, there's probably a list of things that you wouldn't put in a pre-sub either. But, um, you know, I, I, I would say the pre-sub's not the time to pull out your 120-page preliminary risk assessment on your device that's got a plan buried someplace on page 95. Start reading it to see what they do. Yeah. Page one. <laughs> yeah. Good point. I mean, obviously there's a limited amount of time to these meetings, you know, know what you're going in with in advance, practice, prepare. All those are probably key elements into making sure the meeting goes and you get out of it what you need to get out of it. All right. Anybody have anything else to add before we go into two truths and a lie that I forgot about until we started recording? And so I've scribbled mine down in the last five minutes. <laughs> Kent and I are prepared. You're prepared. We, we talked about this ahead of time. So he has our combined truths and lies. Okay. Don, are you, did you remember? I totally forgot. I, I, I remember. I remember. Okay. I need I, you to remind gotta, me. <laughs> you know, I gotta, I gotta find them. So. Um, okay. Know. All right. So since we know um, the collective Abbott team is prepared, let us have them. Two truths and a lie. <laughs> All right. Uh, in our careers, we have been sued by a country. <laughs> During our careers, no one person has ever fallen asleep while presenting. 
And then while performing in vitro blood loop testing, we've had multiple customers repeatedly pass out during the procedure. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so that one's really believable. Um, I'm going to say number two is the lie. I think somebody dozed off. <laughs> Very good. Yes. yes. <laughs> good call, Siri. <laughs> we actually call that when you've reached rock star status in your career is when you can go to some of these presentations front and center and just fall asleep and start snoring in front of your, all your colleagues. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Rock star status. Rock star status. <laughs> I am. I am nowhere near there. Um, although I do work from home. So sometimes people don't know if I'm awake or not, I guess, if I don't have my camera on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go. Like I said, it just scribbled mine down. So I have to be able to read my scribbles. So number one, while on a meeting with a, a customer in the FDA, uh, I realized that ironically, we were calling from the same airport. Number two, when I started at NAMSA, I spent two weeks doing biocomp testing in the laboratory. Mind you, I was a salesperson. I was not a lab tech. And number three, uh, I've participated in um, multiple opportunities with FDA and biocomp training. I got my guess. Ooh, tough one. Yeah. <laughs> Those all sound pretty believable. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is mm. definitely a lie. The second one. I'm going to go with yeah, the second I'm gonna get one. Number two. <laughs> it didn't work in the laboratory. Don, what are you going to say? Uh, that's where I was going because you said you actually did testing. I bet you watched testing, but did you actually do testing? <laughs> I actually did some. Uh, remember, Cyto is part of Biocomp, so I was able to do some some. Uh, some little testing. So no, that one is true. Number one is in, is a lie. Although it would be funny if you found out you're in the same airport on a conference call with somebody. Um, <laughs> to my knowledge, that has not happened. But yeah, number two is is true. I, I was back there two weeks and I got to do some fun stuff. I was on a conference call yesterday and all four people were within a 10 mile radius and only two of them were from NAMSA. Two customers. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. One was in the same town. As me. <laughs> we were and it's not like you live in Minneapolis or anything. You live in exactly. rural-ish yeah. Ohio. So, yeah. Anyhow. Interesting. <laughs> All right, Don. Let us have All right. yours. All right. Here we go. I've used biocompatibility testing of two different devices as the basis for the evaluation of the biocompatibility of a third device in a pre-sub. I've used biocompatibility test plans chemical characterization test plans, information on materials of construction and data from a clinical trial, all in a pre-sub to define the approach being used to address biocom. I've referred to a toxicological assessment of extractables as part of the biocompatibility section of a pre-sub, but not supplied the actual assessment. Hmm. I was kind of impressed. I had a theme going on here, so. You did. You really yeah, very, very <laughs> impressive. Very Absolutely. impressive. I have no clue. What was the first one? I have used biocompatibility testing of two different devices two. as the yeah. basis for the evaluation of a third in a preset. Totally believe that. <laughs> I believe that. I've done number that. three. Number three. You said that you that you did not provide the assessment. Is that? Do I hear that right? I'm going to go with number three that you did not provide the assessment. Yeah, me too. Number three. 
Actually, it's number two. Number two. I, <laughs> no way. Everything's true except yes for right away. I'm like, oh, he's, that one's fine. I, I've never used <laughs> clinical trial data in the pre-sub. I never had clinical data before. I've had all the other stuff. Oh, the clinical data. Okay, it's okay. Pre- so, so. Oh, that was the tell I'm that we missed. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I missed the clinical trial part. I was thinking you're doing clinical because we use clinical data on iteration sometimes to help us out. <laughs> it's based in the details. It's in the details. Devil's in the details. That's right. <laughs> Especially when it comes to pre-subs. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Our theme. Well maybe done, that's done. my well title. Done. I haven't titled the session yet. Maybe that's maybe that's our session title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Tagline. Looking for the tagline there. Pre-sub. It's in the details. <laughs> 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 Got to be a hashtag in there somewhere. Oh, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> uh, well, both. Thank you both so very much for joining us. Thank Abbott for allowing you to, to spend some time with us. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed myself today and I've, I've learned a lot. And I think this, this is an ever evolving situation we're all involved in. And, and uh, I love when we can get together and share experiences like this. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for inviting us. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy Biocom Chatability, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com slash resources slash podcast.